Welcome to Bruin Source. This is Ed. This is Kevin. Uh, we come to you, I think, what is it, second week of January. Um, California is currently underwater, and uh, UCLA is still somehow chugging along. Um, albeit it's been a little bit of a, a bumpy road recently, but hey, we're still winning. Basketball games, at least. We're winning. We are undefeated in conference. We are in the top 10. Uh, you know, we're, we're going to talk a lot about the previous game, the upcoming games, and all this stuff, but, you know, Take a sec to enjoy this because, as UCLA fans should know all too well, um, it's it's nobody's divine right to be excellent every single year, and it's no one's right to always just be in the top ten and in these kind of conversations. So, you know, we're gonna talk about what happened in the previous game and all that stuff, but but first, you know, this we, we, let's enjoy this as, as as it's coming. It's. I think we should definitely enjoy it. Uh, sit back and just think about where we were even like four years ago, right? And to think in, in a pretty short span of time, this is where we're at, where we're winning games and we have the luxury to still be unhappy about that. It's it's something that has not happened for UCLA fans since probably like the Ben Howland, early Ben Howland years, not the, the, not the later Ben Howland years. Um... So it's it's something that is easy to take for granted, but it is something we should definitely just sit back and appreciate for a couple of minutes uh, to to kind of see where we're at and and think about we're we're a good team. Yeah, in a season where there's not a lot of good teams, it seems like so we're we're a good team. I mean, I I read about this a little bit today, and then uh, I went and looked it up myself. Um, just exactly, you know, what the state of the state was. So let's just remind everyone that we were coming off a essentially a 500 season um, in the last year of Steve Alford, uh, one that where we where we started losing to just about everybody, Belmont, Liberty, uh, you know, all those teams at home. Mick Cronin gets hired. We start eight and nine, and we lose at home to Stanford. And from that point on, we go on a massive run to where we come within a buzzer beater of winning the conference championship and since then uh you know it's been largely a positive ride and that's led us to this point and we've gotten to the point now where you know we've had long winning streaks we've had the season where we've all we've been consistently in the top 15 and got a good seed we've been to the final four um and so now again we talk about this season uh however we talk about the season from this point on remember that it's from a different set of expectation because this year it's, you know, so many players coming back, so many superstar freshmen we're adding and, and so much, so on and so forth. So any criticism that comes with this stuff from now on, it comes from a place where, you know, we, we've had the season where we, we were in the, in the top 15 and we got a good seed and all that. But now we're trying to be, you know, one of the five best teams and we're trying to crack those top two seed lines and get a really good path to hopefully make a deep run and, Make, a, make our way to Houston uh, this March or April. Um, so anything that we say badly from this point on, it's from that expectation van- vantage point. Uh, but while we enjoy what we are doing currently. We, we've had that Final Four run, right? And that was obviously a magical season. But if this is the season now where we should be good from start to finish. Yep. Like bar none. And, and we're on our way. 
to doing that. I mean, it's it's been a little bumpy ride up and down a little bit here and there. Um, but largely, we've come out on top of those shaky games. And one of those games was this wild game last Thursday against uh, Southern Cal. And, you know, we talked about this in our pregame um, preview. But it's a rivalry game. Things get weird. But this was another uh, data point, I think. And I think we can maybe start kind of tracking a trend here. Hopefully it's not a trend, but, but you know, it's been a few games this is this has reared its head. Where UCLA has this bizarre Jekyll and Hyde act where one half, they look unstoppable. I mean, the defense is just intense and locked in. They're scoring efficiently. They're they're doing everything right that you possibly can, uh, and and they're on the verge of basically just blowing teams out. And then the second half happens, and I don't know what it is, but they just take off the the foot, off the gas. The defense, you know, becomes a little bit more sluggish. We just we can't buy buckets. We can't score, and we go through these weird lulls of of. I don't even know if it's effort or what it is when you when I go look go back and look at these games it's just is bizarre but this is now like the second or third time where we've we've exhibited this this tendency here and we did it sadly against a team that you know I think SC's a decent team this year they're not good they don't have they've that improved over the year I think they started really bad but they've yeah. gotten better They've definitely gotten better, but they don't have that star-level talent of, like, the Mobleys anymore, right? At least this season. Um, but they're a solid team, and you're right. They they took Tennessee um, to the wire. They beat Auburn. Like, they they, they have shown a, a marked level of improvement. That being said, this is not a team that UCLA should have uh, had too many issues with. But we did in that second half especially. Um and it was very frustrating to watch. I was I was at the game. I was about to tear a seat out of Polly and throw it on the court. I was losing my mind. Like absolutely yeah, about I had, to go bonkers. I, I had two takeaways from that game, and they're very different takeaways from the the two very different halves that UCLA played. And my takeaway from the first half was if UCLA is gonna win the rebounding battle, especially at the rate at, that they did against USC, you are going to get destroyed. You're, it's going to be bad. It's going to get ugly f- real fast because you know UCLA is not turning the ball over themselves. You know that they're going to force a few, and then if you're going to give them a lot of second chances, the number of possessions there just gets way too many to where you know, UCLA didn't even shoot all that well in the first half. Actually, uh, no, S- S- we actually missed a lot of shots. We, we missed a lot of shots. SC, in terms of field goal percentage, had a better percentage than we did. But we had so many second chances. We hit some timely threes. I think that was part of it. And just the way that the numbers work out, it's too good of a team to where if you give them that many second chances, uh, you're going to be competitive. And I think that goes for just about for, for most teams in college basketball. And then the second half happened. Uh, and I think, like you said, we've seen a few examples now where, you know, heavy ball, pr- I don't know if it's heavy ball pressure. I don't know if it's, uh, you know, hedging Tiger with two tall defenders that he can't see over, whatever the case may be. Uh, We have now seen a few halves where, you know, UCLA has shown this tendency to just shut down. Uh, There's an off switch there, and the off switch is not pretty. 
And we've seen it now against Illinois. Uh, I would even count the first half against Oregon uh, to some extent there, where we scored like 20 points. Uh, the Stanford game, second half? The second half of Stanford, and then you know potentially the first half of, of Washington State, and then this one. Um, when these lulls happen, they're ugly. And uh, you, you, it, you can tell that there isn't... N- Either there isn't a plan B or there is a plan B and the players aren't comfortable with plan B because they're so used to plan A. Whatever's going on, it's happened too many times. Uh, we're relying way too much on Jaime Hawkins to get us out of those positions. And against Washington State, he did that. And against Kentucky, he did that. Um, but in this game, they were throwing three defenders at him. Uh, there was a point in the game when Hawkins was at the free throw line, and I don't know if an SC player talked to him or someone was, was talking shit. I don't know what it was, but from that point on, uh, he was bad, man, for the rest of that game, missing layups, free throws, uh, the whole gamut. Um, and, and I he- mean, I, I just on that point, I, I attribute a lot of that to either – I don't know if it's conditioning or what it is, but he was gassed, man. He played 38 minutes like, again. He was, and he was, you could tell he was gassed. Everything was short. Even his free throw misses were short. Yeah. he Again, 38 minutes and the reliance of UCLA on Tiger and Jaime, you know, I'm not even going to criticize that too much because there are senior players and they're the, you know, the all America wooden award candidate type of players that they are. But there's a few halves where they've regressed. They regress a little bit. They shut down. I don't know what it is. And the others don't seem to have the confidence in that setting to kind of pick up the slack and take him through. Now, with that said, give a guy like Jalen Clark a lot of credit. You know, he got the open shot. He took it, took it twice, and he made it. Um, Give Dave Singleton a lot of credit. I thought he kind of fought out there uh, to get whatever points he could get. Adem Bona, in my opinion, best game that he's played, despite the fact that he didn't score as much. Uh, Ten rebounds, he blocked some shots. Uh, his presence was felt on the court, and I think that's what we've been waiting for for Dembona. Hopefully he can, he can build on this. So pause. That was a breakout game for him, for sure. And I think that was one of the things that we, we called out before the game was how was he going to match up against like Josh Moore Morgan, who is a pretty good rebounder and, and you know has some size and length. And and I would largely say Adam Bona answered that call really, really quite well, actually. It's the best I've ever seen him rebound the ball. In that first half, he looked dominant. I mean, he was dunking the ball, which I've never seen him do that way before in traffic. Uh, and that, that chase down block in the second half was a thing of absolute beauty. I mean, the the motor the will to get back on defense there and just the absolute hustle on that play was, was incredibly fun to watch. And, and in many ways that was the game. I mean, that's two points right there. Yeah. Uh, his hustle, you can see the confidence growing in him. Cause that, that's, I think what was missing earlier in the year, all this ability and all this raw athletic potential. But then you had a guy who, didn't really know how to not pick up fouls. He was playing as if he didn't want to pick him up and getting alternative. And, and now I think we're starting to see someone who's coming into his own. He's playing aggressive. He's playing with confidence. Now hopefully he can build from here. Uh, because again, despite all the issues that in this game, if he keeps getting better and we improve as a rebounding unit, then I think this guy is really the limit for this UCLA team. And then really the only concern becomes this this weird off switch, this floor that we've developed where, um, you know, 
heavy pressure defense, a couple turnovers happen and then we just shut down. Um, that then kind of just becomes the last problem to deal with because because a dem bone rebounding I think is the last fatal flaw if you will uh, on the team to just fix and then the rest is is more more characteristics and such. Yeah, absolutely. I I totally agree with that. I I think um, that off switch is definitely concerning. I I think. Mick Cronin recognizes it, though. I don't know if you caught his post-game presser in that I game. I did. <laughs> uh, it was a thing of absolute beauty. I, I, I left that game in a pretty bad mood. <laughs> Even though we won, I, I just wasn't happy about how that second half went. And then I got home, uh, watched that, that presser, and I just I couldn't stop laughing. <laughs> like he was so visibly upset about that and on top of it the there were some very boneheaded questions that I thought he was about to rip some reporters heads off by the end of it he chose and violence he just oh my god he was just going after people and I uh I feel bad for the players in the locker room after that game cuz I'm sure they got an earful and rightfully so, right? I mean, that's he needs to hold these guys accountable, and and how he does that is is you know he's generally a pretty vocal guy. Uh, so I think he understands that there is this off switch, and what he does to mitigate that, I don't know yet. But I I I I'm, I have confidence in Cronin that he at this point I think he's he's earned enough trust and confidence that he will try to address it whether successfully or not i don't know but i i i think he recognizes it and i think he will do what he thinks is best to try to address it we'll see what that ends up being but i mean he he threw around the word bench like he sounds and whether he does this or not i don't know but it sounds like he was ready to bench guys well and we got to see that right because another you know a pattern that's just that's continually emerged under mick is is how do we use the depth and the bench, right? From last year to this year, that's been kind of a trend. In this game, um, you know, once again, we have Jaime playing 38 minutes, Jalen Clark playing 37 minutes. Tiger, because of foul trouble, I think, purely, uh, got off the court for some time, and it was 31 minutes for him. Um, but, but Dylan Andrews, Will McClendon, gets in there for, for 12 and 7 minutes, respectively. Um, you know, we have other guys that have played well. Abramo Zanka that played well at, at Washington State. He didn't get in the game here. You know, there's this. We gotta utilize him better. I think we gotta I, utilize I truly him better. Think that and he's an X factor there. And the key is when Amari Bailey comes back, it's not that these guys' minutes reduce. It's that he needs to step into that rotation and get take some pressure off of Jalen Clark and Tiger Campbell and Jaime Hawkins, who, who right now they're being asked to do way too much because. There's this thing going around of, of, of UCLA fans right now of, hey, why can't we play 40 minutes of just consistent defense every single game? No team does that. There is not a team in the country that can play for 40 minutes with that level of effort and energy every single game throughout the course of what's usually what, like a, we hope to be playing 30 to 35 games um, this year, maybe more than that. So that's not realistic. What is realistic is that the minutes that guys are out there, that they're giving it their all. And for that, we got to stretch them out a bit. Like you said, Jaime was gassed. I thought Jalen Clark got a little tired this game too. 
that second half, I, I mean, the that all all those those steals, those turnovers, the ball pressure, it wasn't as as heavy as it usually is. Uh, David Singleton, he's being asked to looked gassed. He's he's being asked to sit in a chair and guard guys far more than he's ever had to. So, again, it comes back to how do you use your bench to bench guys for mistakes, but then also utilize it to develop players? Because again. W- it's very unlikely we're going to go through conference play unbeaten, especially the the way that we've shown some Jekyll and Hyde tendencies. We might lose a game here or there. That that's, I I think we'd all be willing to trade that for a playable bench come tournament time. Yeah, I I agree. I I think if you sacrifice a game, especially on the road, uh, to develop these guys like Zanka, like getting Mac Etienne more comfortable and healthy um, and reduce Tiger's minutes a little bit. Not to keep them out of the game, because I'm not saying reduce Tiger's minutes because I think he's a bad player, though. I've seen a lot of criticisms, but... Uh, or, or reduce Jaime's minutes purely to give them some break. Like, I know Mick does not think that fatigue is as big of a factor as maybe the fans in. And maybe he's right. Maybe... You know, the conditioning is not up to speed for some of these guys or, or whatever he thinks, you know. The fact of the matter is guys get tired over a long season. They pick up injuries. And so when that happens, like, we need to have guys who can step up and are ready to play and don't get overwhelmed in that moment because they've never touched the court. I think that's that's what we need to prep some of these guys for. And, and we have a bench. We have playable depth on the bench this season like we have 11 guys I think that are playable this year and so there's no reason why we shouldn't be using those guys we we just we need to use that to our advantage and I don't know if we have now I I think you know we're we are seeing guys like Andrews come in a little more we've you know you talked McClendon a little bit um but to your point once Amari's back and hopefully he's back soon I I hope that we do not see like a reduction of the those guys' minutes, because um, we absolutely need to uh, keep the energy levels up, and and substituting guys will will do that. Because if we don't, then we have guys like Reese Dixon Waters like going off seven for seven in the second half. Yeah, uh, Reese Dixon Waters is a decent player, but he should not be a guy who is just unconscious f- shooting, like just plain and simple. He's not that good. Yeah, uh, it was his. I mean, it, that was close to his best game of the year. I mean, he had a game against Cal. I'm looking at it right now. I guess Long Beach State, Cal. Yeah, he went for 20 and then 17 in those games. But generally, he he's a streaky player. Um, overall, averaging nine and a half for the season. So I, I think overall, UCLA's defense in the second half. They're beyond just like you know tiredness there were some breakdowns there I think that's probably another thing that Mick is furious about and what probably came out in that postgame presser um if SC makes a few of those open threes that result from those breakdowns we'd probably end up losing the game so that's another thing to look out for so I think there's bench there's these defensive breakdowns on offense to fix this whole you know off switch that we're talking about you know these other guys and it's mainly it's Jalen Clark it's Dylan Andrews, Will McClendon, and even Jaime to some extent. If you get an open shot, especially from three, you gotta shoot. And we can live with some misses now, but we gotta we gotta shoot those balls because 
Jaime is drawing triple teams right now. Uh, Tiger is going through some kind of funk. I, I, I fully expect that he will get out of it. I fully do. Um, but we need guys to have confidence with the ball uh, and not just have it be give it to Jaime and hope that he can get us out of a slump because that's too easy to Yeah, Yeah, the second half offense was pure and simple, just bad. There was too many times where we passed the ball around the three-point line and literally ran the clock down to like seven seconds and then jacked up a bad shot. I mean, every possession felt that way. It was just bad shot after bad shot after bad shot because we just we couldn't move the ball very well, very efficiently. Guys weren't moving off the ball. And so we were rushing shots because there was no time left on the shot clock. Tiger had some horrible drives into nowhere. It was, you know, it reminded me of Jules Bernard at like his freshman year where he would just drive into the teeth of the defense with like three dudes guarding him. He couldn't pass out of it and he would either jack up a bad shot or turn the ball over. Like it happened too often that that we just could not manufacture a decent look uh, when we had the ball and that that needs to stop. And to your earlier point, yes, give SC a little bit of credit because they did change up their defensive uh, scheme on in that second half. They hedged Tiger really, really hard. I mean, they got they had a bigger defender on him. They would get a second guy on him, and he just he struggled with that. I, I've never seen Tiger struggle usually like that, but he really did not know what to do with the ball at some points. It felt like, and and we just went absolutely cold i mean it was just it was bad yeah again you know what the the maybe the concerning thing is is that it's so unlike tiger to turn the ball over with ball pressure i mean i i I don't i can i don't even think his freshman year under mick he was doing stuff like that and we've seen a couple examples this year against illinois and then this game um where something's something happens and we start turning the ball over, which is one thing that Mick Cronin teams never do. So I, I don't know if this is a result of, you know, a little bit of over-tinkering with Tiger's game and turning him into Steph Curry. I, I have no idea. Um, whatever it is, we got to fix it. <laughs> I, I fully expect we will because I think Tiger's just too good and too savvy a player to not get that fixed, uh, whatever is going on with him, um, just in terms of his shot selection and such. And, and, and he's not playing all that bad. I mean... You know the Washington game overall was good. I think he's had some some good games overall, and he's trying. He started to move away from that, you know, Steph Curry mode back to that, you know, pass first mode. But then there's some games like this where when he gets tight, he just starts shooting the ball a whole bunch. Um, there's something there in terms of just clarifying roles that I think Mix just got to go and clarify with the entire team in terms of what everyone's role is in these tight game situations, and not have it be so much, you know, where. It's dribble handoff and the weak side of the court's just standing around and not doing anything, um, you know, and, and while we're just looking for a post entry, like that kind of thing, and then Tiger just goes and shoots a shot. I think there's something there to be done. Um, and specifically on, on Tiger, again, I, I, I just think he's too good, too savvy. He's gonna, he, he will figure this out, I think. I agree. I, I think he's a, a very smart kid. He's a very good player. Uh, he's proven that time and time and time again and yeah I I think just the shoot first Tiger just doesn't suit him I think he needs to go back to that facilitator type player and 
look, Tiger's always been a guy when we need a bucket, like he can get a bucket. Yep. Let's not doubt his scoring prowess. Like he can do that when we need him to, but if he should not be like the first or second option on on offense. I just don't think so. I think we need to I think Jaime is going to be that guy, but we need to get other guys like Bona involved down low and, and make his presence felt. And we need other guys to step up. I think Jalen Clark has done that for a good part of this season. He he had an okay game this this um, past week. You know, he, he didn't shoot it very efficiently, but he scored when we needed him to. And obviously, in the most clutch moment, he scored when we needed him to. So we have other options here. Bailey, I know, has been streaky, but... He's a guy who's shown that he can create his own shot. So if Tiger is not the guy scoring, you know, 20 points a game, that's fine. I think that's fine. We, I would much rather have him facilitating the offense and getting other guys open looks than him trying to shoot rushed threes or try to drive into, you know, big guys that are three times his size and, and turn the ball over. Like, it's just not working for him. Um, and the team, and it's it's negatively impacting everybody. So I think Nick needs to figure this out ASAP. So uh, this all being said, we still won the game. We won the game. <laughs> we won the game. Um, you know, we've won a couple of games this year that, you know, look, last year we did lose a couple of the, the, those kind of games. Now, uh, Washington State was away, and we saw what Washington State did this weekend. Uh, I watched a lot of that game, and it actually was very similar to the game that we played against them. Um, they're they're a good rebounding team, and they they were able to rebound toe to toe with Arizona, and then they hit some shots and were able to win the game. So, you know, we were winning these games, which a year ago that we lost a few of them. And if you look around the country, you know, no one's really blown anybody out. With that said, again, um, you know, go back to what we said at the top of the 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 our, our talk here. How we're talking about this now is that we want this to be a team that's at the very upper end of college basketball. Um, and to get there, you know, some of these things got to be fixed. Uh, and, and that's all, all that, all that we're saying. I think we're close. We're not all the way there, but we are close before we, we move on to some of that be- bigger picture stuff though, real quick, I want to mention one thing about the, the, um, last week's game. We had a, pretty packed house in there but we we and i mean by we the administration at ucla needs to do something about getting the game atmosphere more hyped up you know credit to the students they camped out in the rain and showed up to that game without even having to be in school like they were on break and they still showed up and packed packed the student section the fans showed up you know, it was a blue out. You know, most people adhere to it. Again, we're never great at doing stuff like that, but, but you know, it was fine. People showed up. But once they show up, we just, I don't know what it is about UCLA fans. We just, people just don't get hyped. Like, it gets loud for about 15 seconds, and then, like, it goes quiet. And there's a couple of things that are, are noticeably missing now from Poly Pavilion for some reason. And the, the first thing is is the Yell crew leaders. I, I don't know if you remember, Kevin, when we were in school and even oh, after we graduated, there were there were Yell crew leaders that would go around all around the stadium. Like, 
leading eight claps, leading cheers, getting people hyped up, throwing t-shirts, even into the top parts of the stands. Like, they they would get people going. And, you know, you, people always, you know, you can make fun of them. People made fun of them, whatever. Like, you know, these these nerdy kids trying to get people going going nuts. and, and But they, they got the crowd going, right? For whatever reason, we have, like, three yell crew leaders now. Like, they don't come up to the top sections. They're not walking around getting the, like, different sections of the, the stadium going. It's like, it's, it gets dead in there way too often, even for, with big crowds. And I, I don't know why. Like, they, to, to create a proper home court advantage with the, you know, loud crowd and in that kind of fearsome atmosphere, we need something and not having these people like getting the crowd hyped up at the bare minimum is is I, I think a huge 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 miss on uh, on UCLA's part. So I I don't know who needs to do that or who needs to get that fixed, but someone needs to step in ASAP. The second thing is I think there's just a lack of like training and uh, knowledge around some of the cheers and and uh, like traditions and. I don't fault the students for this. I, I will give the students a pass because if you really think about it, there's probably only a, a small number of them that have been at school for more than a year right now because of COVID. So a lot of these kids started school virtually and now they're coming back. They're excited to be there, but they just need some structure and some guidance on like what to do. You know, the den, I don't know who's leading the den anymore. I don't know how it's being run. But the den leadership needs to step up and do something. I know there's the issue with the copyright or trademark or whatever it is with the Frisbee chant. I understand that. But regardless of that, they need to get this, like the den needs to get the student section more hyped up. And when they do have the yell crew getting it, people hyped up, they just, they're bad, man. Like (laughs) they're the most monotone people. I don't get it. Like I've never heard such monotone, like, unenthusiastic eight claps being led on in Poly Pavilion on the, the Jumbotron. They do it like once a game only. And when they do it, it's like super slow, super boring. Like the student or yell crew person just like is clearly just doesn't seem to care. I don't know why. It's just bizarre. Um, anyways, I'm done with my TED talk and, and bitching about <laughs> this, but like I don't know, man. It's something that needs to be fixed because we have a top 10 team. People are showing up to the games. People just need some guidance, I think, and and something to get them riled up. And, and UCLA as a school is not doing a good job of that. Do you remember when uh, we, we camped out? I think it was for the SC game uh, when we were in school. And Ben Howland came out uh, to, to the camp out. And he came out with somebody from the AD, and he, they let the the students ask Ben Howland questions. And somebody asked him about, hey, like they do this really cool tradition at Arizona where they release all these balloons, um, you know, once like someone scores the first basket or like the first time they shoot a free throw. And like, hey, why can't we do stuff like that? Uh, and I still remember uh, that the AD representative answering for Ben Howland and just, just you know jumping in and talking about like you know just making all these excuses for why we can't do anything and then 
the the, the fans or, or the students are just answering back. It's like, well, how are they doing it? Or how is this school doing this? And then Ben Hallen's just like staring at the at, at the guy like, you want to answer some of this? Because like what you're just making excuses right now. Like that, that stare that Ben was giving him. Um, <laughs> I, I, I'll never forget that entire exchange. It, it was it was it was great. And yeah, I mean, I, I wasn't there at the game, but I'm with you. Uh, you know, especially when fans are showing up because because they are showing up, like you said, and. I saw the pictures of students in the rain, and it's not fun right now outside for us, you know, spoiled Californians uh, to sit out in the rain. <laughs> no, not at all. So, yeah, uh, I'm, I'm totally with you there. Yeah, and and UCLA has always been fairly conservative with this kind of stuff. I get it. You know, there's, there's a pride and, like, a subtle class, I don't know what you want, whatever you want to call it, stoic classicism, ah, whatever it is around our fan base where people keep it fairly civil and and you know tame to some degree which is fine I, I i can respect that we have a lot of older fans it's fine that doesn't mean you can't be loud like doesn't mean you can't can't cheer for your team and like get the the crowd hyped up especially these kids like you get the students engaged and having fun at these games they're going to be loud and those that's what's going to create those lifetime memories for these kids and keep them coming back well beyond when they graduate um and that builds your donor base in the future on a side note you know i had a lot of celebrities there too you know d wade was in the house you know russell westbrook was in the house uh we had a we had also henry winkler was there yeah Jessica Alba, we had all sorts of people show up to this game, and credit to the AD for that, right? Like, I think that was definitely something that they probably managed to organize, some of these folks coming to the game and and creating that kind of Hollywood-esque atmosphere, which is great. It's good for recruiting, it's, you know, fun for the fans, it gets, you know, some buzz going around the the, uh, Twitter sphere and whatnot, and, and that's awesome. That's great. It still doesn't keep the fans riled up for for too long. Yeah, well, uh, so you know, we we got two home games this week. Let's see if the Elk crew can step their 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 game up now, because uh, I I think we got two tricky games this week. I don't know what your your view is on on what we got coming up here, and um, the first one's very big for conference standings. Yeah, I'm scared shitless of this week. <laughs> I don't I don't like it. I don't like it. <laughs> so Arizona, our chief rival, so we think, for the conference, now has dropped a second game. So they've dropped their second game at home to, to Washington State. Thank and you, Muhammad Gay. Thank you, Muhammad Gay. And I watched a lot of that game. Um, you know, Arizona's strength is Balo and Tabellis, obviously, and and when they're on the floor and they're able to, to feed them, especially Tabellis, um, you know, they Tabellis looks borderline unstoppable out there sometimes. Um, and then Balo too. But when Balo leaves the court, uh, they get really vulnerable. And I think Washington State, they have bigs that can match him up. Uh, you know, Guy can get out there. They have other, you know, bigs that can just like rebound and get up, get up into their face. Uh, and I think that, that affected Arizona uh, in that matchup. And now they are, effectively two games behind us which is what makes this this week so important arizona dropped one at home that's that's essentially a, a break of serve there uh 
we can't drop serve at home and uh, throw any off switches this week because uh, Utah's five and one in conference themselves. And five and one, thanks to Oregon beating them last week in Utah in a kind of a, a weird game. Um, yeah, I, it's UCLA currently sits atop the Pac twelve at five and zero, um, and it, with with an opportunity here to really put some more space between us and Utah right now. Um, I still think Arizona will end up above Utah, but you know I'm the current state of things. They're two games behind, and we're really more concerned with Utah at this point. Um, which is which is not something I would have uh, bet money on at the beginning of the season. But you know, Utah is has been playing pretty good basketball, and they've been defensively really quite good. Uh, and they have some some personnel that I think will give us trouble, especially uh, Brandon Carlson. Yeah, their best player is a big. That is a guy. Yeah, their best player is yeah. big, and he's seven feet. So Brandon Carlson, you know, he's had some games where he's filled up the stat sheet. Against Oregon, now Oregon's got some bigs, again, that can match up on him, right? Uh, with, with Dante and, and Brittle and such. Guerrier. Yeah, Guerrier. Yeah. So because of that, he he had his 10 points, and that was it for him. But, but you know, the other game against Oregon State – in 32 minutes, he's putting up 27 points. The game against Stanford, in 31 minutes, he's putting up 18 points. So he's been doing that kind of stuff when he has a matchup advantage. And in this game, he's probably going to have that matchup advantage. You know, despite however you know well Bona might be playing, um, this is going to be, I think, a really tough challenge for him uh, matching up against an offensive center like, like Brandon Carlson. And then around him, the, the scary, the scary part with Carlson versus Bona, especially, is that Carlson can shoot it from deep too, so he can stretch Bona out, and he's an efficient scorer. He's shooting fifty four percent from the field, so it's not like this guy's a volume scorer. You know, scoring, you know, he's averaging fifteen point seven points right now. He's doing it at a in a pretty efficient clip, so he's. He is going to be definitely a huge, huge, huge challenge for, for Adembona. Adembona has the athleticism, though, to match up with him and, and stay on him. We'll see how he does, but yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's scary. The other thing with Utah is that their guards are a little taller. Uh, you know, we got Gabe Madison, 6'6". You know, Stefanovic, who, I mean, he, he's... He's come a long way since last year. He's six seven, um, and again, like if there's one, one shortcoming of our defense, defensive guards, um, and 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 we're probably assuming Amari Bailey doesn't play again this weekend, to get ready for the Arizona <coughs> trip. If I had to guess, um, you know, we're we're six foot five or less, so that'll be an interesting thing too. Now, you know, that's the deficiencies. Uh, UCLA does have the talent advantage once again. Uh, can they come out and play with that defensive intensity? I think once again, like any any game this year, I think is going to be the key because uh, UCLA has shown there can be you know eight to nine minute stretches of games where they just turn the water off, and you, that, that's that's just that. Um, I think we're going to need a stretch like that uh, in this game against Utah to just make sure that we 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 put them at bay. Yeah, I I agree. We need to be 
intense on defense, and we need to manufacture some offense because the, again, Utah Utah is a pretty good defense. I know before that Oregon game, they were um, I think in net like a top thirty team. So th- this was this is not a joke of a team, despite being unranked and um, not you know being on anyone's radar. Like they are, <clears throat> they've been playing very good basketball. Uh, and I think they've been able to shut shut defenses down. Like, they don't g- gamble a lot for steals. They're just playing fundamental defense and and stopping people. So we just we we need to be able to manufacture some shots and get open looks and move the ball around and not just stand around at the three point line, pass the ball around, and then jack up shots like we saw against SC last week. We need to do, we need to figure something out on offense um, in the half court. That being said, if we get into transition, I think we could probably bury them pretty quickly. Yeah, and that's going to be the key. Uh, you know, can we get can we rebound the ball and just uh, you know get out fast? Uh, because I think you know again, someone like Bona running the floor, uh, or you know, Jaime and Tiger playing in transition, or at least getting there quickly to set up a two man game before the defense gets set. Uh, I think all that is is key. The second game against Colorado. Colorado's an interesting team. I, I, I really I can't figure them out uh, because they've they have some really good wins on their resume. Uh, they they've beaten Tennessee, who's looked very good this year. They've looked really strong. Uh, they've beaten Texas A and M, who you know at the time they had some hype and they've fallen off a little bit, but still a quality quality win there. And yet they've lost some like head scratchers in there too. Uh, they got a really good guard, KJ Simpson, who you know. UCLA fans might know him well because you know he wanted to go to UCLA and we couldn't take him because we had Tiger playing in his position. Um, but they're they're an interesting one too. And Tad Boyle teams are always well coached and they always play us tough. And it feels like they're playing really good basketball at the wrong time for UCLA. <laughs> I, if you look at their last two games, they blew out Oregon by twenty seven points and Oregon State by twenty points. Like they're they're kind of hitting another gear that we we haven't seen from them, it feels like. And, yeah, KJ Simpson's an electric guard. And uh, whoever is guarding him is going to have a tough time. I, I don't think it can be Tiger guarding him. Yeah. I just, I, I, I don't, I, I, I don't think that will end well. So I don't know if, if Amari is out. Assuming he's out, then who do we put on him? Probably Jalen. It's probably gonna be Jalen, and that means Jaime is gonna so have to match up against De Silva. Right. So there's there's some there's some matchup issues here that I think uh, will be will be difficult for for UCLA. That being said, we're at home. We we have that advantage. I think you know again with a crowd, and hopefully we can create some sort of. Uh, <laughs> home atmosphere that that should play into it but yeah Colorado's gonna play as tough like let's let's not mince words here like every team that comes in to Poly Pavilion this season regardless of who they are we're a top 10 team every team is gonna give us their absolute best shot like we have a target on our back we're the highest ranked team in the Pac-12 we're atop the Pac-12 standings like they are going to take their best shot so yeah we saw this last year UCLA I mean we saw it last year every team is going to give us their best shot and again you know it's it's what we've been talking about 
the ceiling of UCLA, it looks looks like it can be very, very good. There is this off switch. There is this floor that just looks really scary. And I think, you know, the Pac-12 isn't an amazing league nationally. And right now it's only projected to get two teams in. But there's this middle group of teams that, like, they're, they may be tournament teams by the end. They may not. Uh, and all of them are going to give their all. And they're good enough to beat UCLA when they're playing badly. Uh, and that, that, I think, is the key to avoid these long stretches where you play badly. The good news is the the Pac-12 is actually not as bad as we all thought. Uh, everyone thought it was kind of a dog shit conference for a little bit, and uh, it's showing some life. So it does give UCLA some opportunities to get some some you know quad one potentially wins in in conference now. Besides just Arizona and Utah, like we can we can actually build up some of our resume here if we get some wins especially on the road. So it gives us a little bit of an opportunity to build the resume. Again, this week specifically, we can beat Utah, beat Colorado, gives us some more space in the conference race, uh, especially going into the Arizona week on the road. This is probably, I would argue, the toughest stretch of the season for us, especially with the conference play. I mean, we had you know, an emotionally charged rivalry game followed with you know two the two tough mountain schools coming to poly pavilion at least they're at home but they're they're still going to be tough outs and then we go on the road to arizona and asu and we won't get into this too much we'll get into it next week but you know asu is has been playing pretty good and arizona you know in McHale center is obviously always always a tough out so uh yeah this is a this is a uh bumpy part of uh, of conference play for UCLA and, but and if you know we can we get out after of this Arizona right after Arizona we we go to SC so this next yep. five, five game stretch right here if you remember last year this was about the time when we had the trip to Arizona and we faltered a bit and then we lost you know three out of four games this five game stretch is probably going to go a long way towards determining the conference um and, and and I'm not going to go into you know what if we win this what if we how many, win you know four or five and whatnot but we we get through this stretch well we're probably going to be sitting pretty and at that point it's just making sure that you know we don't screw up the rest of our games to to really get a, a good seating here so it starts this week though um, again Arizona's given us a break of serve and we got a got a hold serve now at home against two two teams that are going to be looking for resume victories on um, on their own. Absolutely. We, we just, we gotta, we gotta protect our house here. And if we protect our house, I think we'll be in good shape going into Arizona, but, um, yeah, it'll be, it's going to be a tough week. It's going to be a fun week. I think we'll get some good basketball and hopefully UCLA does not, um, frustrate the living fuck out of us this time. You know, it's like crazy with the Pac-12 schedule, man. Like we played the one game last week. It feels like forever because, because we watched so much college basketball since then. It just feels like right. forever yeah. since since we played. Yeah, lots happened. I mean, you you see Arizona go down at home. You see Utah go down at home, and and it's kind of nice in some ways. You know, UCLA takes care of business in a frustrating fashion at, still, but you know, still gets the W. Now they get to kind of sit back, hopefully rest up, 
see what else is going on in, in, in the conference and hopefully that gives them some motivation to try to, you know, build that lead. The flip side here is like, okay, do they get complacent a little bit? You know, sit back, get a little lazy and, and uh, look at the, the standings here and say, okay, we're in good good shape, like we can coast. Well, Mick chose violence. Cronin... Mick, Mick chose yeah. violence. So, so <laughs> I want to see what the result of that violence is. Like we, 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 we now, now we'll see. We'll, we'll, we'll see what it's all about. Yeah, if we, if we, uh, if we start this game against Utah with like Tiger and Jaime on the bench and him starting, I don't know Russell Stong. We, we, we'll know if he he meant business there. But uh, yeah, let's let's see how that violence manifests itself in uh, bettering this team. In other news, we uh, we do have some football news going around. Even though the season just finished, uh, you know the 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 entire season officially came to a close yesterday with the championship game. Terrible game. Oh uh, my god! Yeah, that was uh, that was bad. <laughs> Poor TCU. Yeah. Poor TCU. It was yeah. I I turned it off at like halftime. It was pointless to watch yeah i mean but yeah maybe maybe georgia and bama should just go play like before the season starts and we can just call them the champion and then the rest of us can just you know try uh to win something else maybe maybe that's one way to do this just put them in like a the g league of of the nfl or something just have them create their own league because like you you watch georgia play and it's like Who's beating this team? Like I know Ohio State came close, but I, the talent level on that team is absolutely wild. They've they've hacked college football in, in many ways, and they are absolutely just dominating people. And and Bama too has historically done the same. I know Georgia's kind of in the new name in town. I don't know if you um, watched uh, any of the the halftime show of that game i did, did not catch any of that i did not uh, there was a funny clip where one of the guys uh was talking about how georgia is now the you know dominant college football powerhouse like they are the the blueprint um and they're they're the new dynasty and you had nick saban who is a part of this crew just sitting there and you could just see him he didn't say anything, but you could just see him, like, calculating, like, how am I going to fucking destroy everybody next year? And I was like, oh, no. This uh, this has unleashed a new monster that we do not want to see. Well, um, one of the success stories of TCU this year, and, and look, I know they got destroyed, but it is, I think, overall a great thing for college football that a school like TCU could make the championship game. Like, if TCU can do it, why couldn't someone like UCLA, for example, do it, right? So it does give, I think, some hope out there. And one of the great equalizers for TCU this year, and I think like it was for many teams, was the transfer portal. There is access to a different set of players that are not just all living in the South or in a certain region that are going to go to the SEC. And UCLA has largely lived on the transfer portal the last couple of years, uh, but, but this year uh, they're facing some competition, aren't they? Yeah, 
this last weekend we had a big 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 visit weekend and there was a lot of optimism and hope that UCLA was going to land some very top tier players in the portal that we we saw coming through you know um the O-lineman Kingston from Washington State who was considered one of the the better tackles in the country um J Michael Sturdivant from uh Cal who lit us up and and you know as a freshman showed that he could be that kind of elite game breaking type receiver you had Anthony Lucas a former five star D lineman uh who who visited and there was all this buzz that UCLA is you know gonna gonna get a good crack at these guys we're probably gonna land a few of them like it was all sunshine and rainbows for a few days and then the floor just kind of fell apart underneath them and to add insult to injury not only did these guys not go to UCLA at least two out of three of these guys did not go to UCLA two out of three of them ended up at Southern Cal <laughs> like it hurt badly enough to not get these guys and then having them go across town was just like taking a, a box of salt, like stabbing someone's arm open and just pouring a box of salt into it. It was just, it was brutal. Yeah, my takeaway from this weekend was that, you know, maybe last year there was this idea that UCLA was ahead uh, in a way that other programs weren't in terms of getting transfers in, being competitive that way. It's not a secret anymore. Um, you know, the transfer portal is a finite number of resources. Uh, the, for the best players in there, all the best teams are after them. So, you know, and that includes teams that do high, recruit high school very well. So the SCs, LSUs out there, uh, Ohio State was after the, the, the tackle that we were after. Uh, Michigan's out there in a hard way. Um, so, you know, th- this isn't a thing where the other schools are not after the same transfers anymore. And so with that said, I mean, you're always going to strike out on some recruits and that's going to happen. But this is where we'll have to see, you know, is is this going to now bite UCLA a bit to where, you know, can we field a competitive team if we don't have, you know, those those transfers? Because right now we have 13 high schoolers that are signed uh, and nine transfers coming in. And probably we still have some scholarships to give. We're going to essentially going to be replacing our entire offensive line you know, I'll be say for I think two starters. All right, DeGiorgio comes back, Duke Clemens comes back, but otherwise we're, we're replacing our entire offensive line. Um, we def- we got a we got an alignment transfer coming in, but yeah, like line depth should never be taken granted for. Like we should always try to load up on as many linemen as we can. Yeah, UCL was very lucky last year. There was not a single injury on the offensive line, and so some of the concerns that we talked about in the off season never really came out because we never saw them. Um, somehow we got through the entire year unscathed. But that's not something to plan for. Uh, definitely need some help at in the secondary and on the defensive line. And the defensive line is where we've missed now this weekend. So it's going to be interesting to see now what, what the staff does next because, again, it, this was this round of transfer recruiting. Uh, are they going to wait until the May period when you know maybe some more players transfer out and hit the portal? Uh, or are they going to go into a, maybe a second group of transfers from, you know, lower division schools? We'll have to. This is where it, get, it gets interesting because again, uh, unlike the other schools in the transfer portal, uh, you know, SC, LSU, all these other schools, 
they've recruited high school well. So these transfers are just to shore up their roster and get a few more star pieces in place. Uh, for us, it's to actually get a competitive roster out there. So the, the equation's a little different. It's absolutely different. I think it's uh, it's discouraging, obviously. I think this was a, a another example where it felt like Chip Kelly was a little bit maybe too, too reactive to the, the portal. It felt like we were being very conservative last year even. We didn't go after that really top-end talent. Now everybody is kind of caught up to the portal, so now we definitely don't have any shot to go after some of that top-end talent. I mean, we can still get you know, a couple of guys here and there this in this cycle or in that spring cycle. But I don't know. It doesn't, it doesn't feel like we're going to have the, the talent coming in from the transfer portal that Chip Kelly seems to be planning for. Yes, we got a few good guys this year. Um, you know, Latu comes to mind. Like, he was a, a star player for us, and, and hopefully there's a chance he comes back next season. But for every Latu we got... And and uh, frankly, I think Latu was a little lucky in some ways because he he was a guy that was out of football for largely that year due to due to injury, and so nobody nobody really knew who probably he was in that in that sense. I can guarantee you though, if he had been playing that way at Washington and still decided to transfer, we might not have gotten this kid. Yeah. But, um. It it's like we we we've been just striking out on all these guys and so now you're right we're gonna go to probably the second level second tier down and does that really help us it doesn't feel like it generally has been great for us I mean you look at some of the, the transfers and on the on the defensive side especially we have had some great offensive transfers like look Raquan O'Neal on the O-line this season you know played pretty well he plugged in did did his job and he's he's jumping to the nfl zach charbonnet obviously was a monster for us um you know jake bobo you know played really well the offensive side of things again i we've been harping on this i've been harping on this like we'll be fine i'm not worried about that it's really the defensive side where i think transfer uh recruiting was going to be really key to, to your point, putting out a competitive roster. And I just don't see the talent coming in from there. Like, looking back at those guys, take out Latu. We had the Murphy twins who, you know, we got good reviews from, like, uh, spring and fall camp. But they were middling performances most of the season. You have Azizi Hearn who, frankly, like, was straight up bad. Like, I, I'm sorry to say, I don't mean yeah. to dump on the, the kid, but he, he was not very good. Um, you know, Jalen Jalen Davies was okay, I think, from a DB perspective. But, again, he wasn't any sort of, like, eye-popping talent that came in. And, and some of the other guys, like Sykes uh, on the D-line, you know, he, he played okay, but it, it, w- it wasn't that type of player that changed the defense and made us really good or competitive on that front. Like we just, we're not seeing that talent coming in from, from the transfer portal for, for UCLA anymore or ever really. So do we stick with this strategy or not? I, I, that is a, a key question that I think Chip Kelly needs to really think 
hard about. Yeah, and, and does he even think about it? That's the other thing. Like he doesn't seem to give a shit about recruiting. And this is where it gets hard because you read the reports and you see the rumblings and the tea leaves and things happening. You know, supposedly Chip does want to replace the entire defensive staff. Uh, he does. He is now bought into UCLA using an NIL game in transfer recruiting and for the very best high school players. He's landed a quarterback in Dante Moore. He's putting together some pretty good pieces on the offensive side of the ball. So, you know, the tea leaves are there, the rumblings are there, but but now you, now you got to put it together. And again, the the timing just seems to be a little off because if you wanted to replace your entire defensive staff, well, you've just had the biggest transfer recruiting weekend of the year, and there are no defensive players that are going to be coming for a staff that's no longer going to be. First off, they were never coming for this staff, uh, but but. Second, I mean, if you don't know what that staff is in place, then it's going to be hard to recruit players. Uh, and, and word has it that he wants that staff to be to take charge of defensive recruiting and, and take charge of whatever it needs to be over there. But then, you know, again, the way we've set up our system and our roster up until this point is that we are heavily dependent on these transfers to come in and elevate our level for next season. Because, uh, and, and again, on paper, the transfer recruiting doesn't look very bad. Again, once again, we're top 10. We're number 8 in the country in transfer recruiting. But for us to be competitive or anywhere near as good as we were this season, we need to hit on a lot of really high-end transfers. That's just the, the strategy. It's just the way that it's, it, the, the program's built. So that's where, you know, I I can get what's all happening right now with, you know, the you know, obviously we have a health issue with Bill McGovern, and that has to be, you know, taken care of and, and whatnot. Um and, you know, we have the need to overturn our staff, and maybe now we have a coach that kind of gets it with high school recruiting, but still we don't really know if they do because, you know, it was just one player in Dante Moore. And yet, like, you know, just got to get it done because all if you these revelations are not anything that are new. They, they were all kind of out there for you to see for many years, and it sucks that the timing's not there right now, but, uh, you know, we got to get it done. It is a timing issue, but at the same time, it's it's all it kind of rests on Chip Kelly's shoulders, and it's kind of his fault in many ways because, like you said, the tea leaves have been there. This has been the writing's been on the wall for a while, and Chip Kelly has repeatedly just been very reactive to everything. He's shown no proactivity in the in any of these situations. And not only has he been reactive, it's like turtle slow reactions to things, these things. And so it feels like, okay, now he finally gets it. And now, to, like you said, the timing is bad. But, like, we've been clamoring for these things for, like, two or three years. <laughs> this yeah. is, again, nothing new. And he could have been ahead of the curve in some of these things. And he just wasn't. And now he's behind the the gun again, trying to catch up. And that is where ultimately I think he's going to end up failing. I mean, you can look at the defensive coordinator thing, the defensive staff. Like, how long have we been saying, okay, get rid of Azanaro, get rid of Azanaro? Now he's finally, like, got gets rid of Azanaro, pulls in this guy who's basically Azanaro 2.0, and now he's like, oh, okay, maybe I should take care of this. Like, it's been four, four, four or five fucking years at this point of this. Like, we had the roster and the opportunity to have an excellent season. And that decision to not 
replace the defensive staff with somebody who had the defensive chops this season really bit us in the ass. And again, we didn't even hit that 10 win season. So that's going to be, if, if Chip Kelly is not here long term, that is going to be the, the story of the Chip Kelly era here is he's just going to be reacting and reacting too late time and time again. That's just, I don't know. I guess that's who he is at this point. And yet, like, I shouldn't fall into this trap, but if he is don't able to... Don't say it. Don't, don't say it. You're all right, fine. I won't say it. Look, th- this is the thing right now. Um, in two years, we're moving to the Big Ten. The middle of the Big Ten right now is a little softer than I think it was maybe a year or two years ago. The top end of the conference, I think, is better than what it was, you know, a couple of years ago. But, But the middle of the pack there... Uh, you know, the traditional Iowa, Wisconsin, Michigan State, like that level where you usually have solid 8-10 to 10 win teams, they, they dip, they've dipped off a little bit. Now they're all going through some coaching changes in some cases and whatnot, and we'll see how that, that goes, particularly Wisconsin going through a coaching change, Nebraska is. But if we can get our staff right and we can get this recruiting thing going, it's, it is possible. We, we can have a successful program there. But again, you know, we there, there's only two years to go, and this class is probably going to go a long way towards you know what our, our team looks like in the Big Ten, and we got a big piece with our quarterback. You know, can we put a competitive defense on the field once again? Because Chip Kelly's offense, like again, I've watched enough Big Ten football, it'll work in the Big Ten. Chip Kelly's offense does work in the Big Ten. His defense absolutely does not work in the Big Ten. It'll get, you, His defense doesn't work in the Pac-12. It doesn't work in the Pac-12, and, and, and in the Big Ten, I mean, we're going to see 500 yards rushing against us every week. Um, so, again, like, can we fix it? I don't know. We'll, we'll, we'll have to find out. But right now, not having a defensive staff in place for transfer recruiting when your entire strategy is set up around transfer recruiting, that's, that's not a recipe for success. It doesn't seem like it. No, and uh, <laughs> I, I I hear the optimism and hope in your voice, and uh, crush me personally. I crush have it. I've none. I I don't have any of that anymore. I, I've seen enough. I I've been saying I've seen enough, and yet I'll probably still watch every game next season and probably care too much. But I I truly don't expect us to win more than like seven games. I get look Dante Moore is coming in. He's a generational talent type quarterback. Like, he is very, very, very good. I have no doubt about that. I think the offense has a chance to be pretty good still. We have some holes we need to fill. There's some certain things that we need to to shore up. But largely, I think Chip Kelly will figure out the offense. We'll have a good offense. I have no faith in the defense. None whatsoever, unless we somehow hire, like, Brent Venables or something. Absolutely batshit crazy happens. I don't think we're going to get a good DC at this point. Like, I don't know what we're going to do there. I don't have any faith in it. Even if we hire someone great, I feel like they're going to, like, just shit the bed because it's UCLA and defense at UCLA football is cursed. I I, I just, I don't see it happening for for us. It feels like... And I know we were talking about this earlier, Kevin. This feels like a Josh Rosen era again, where you have this QB coming in with all this optimism, highly, highly, highly regarded, one of the best QBs in the country, you know, lights out type of talent. 
Yeah, for Rosen, there was a, a whole myriad of issues on those teams. You know, we couldn't protect the kid when he was here because the O-line was so bad. You know, the defense was, was okay, but not very good either. Like, there was all sorts of issues. I see a lot of these same issues plaguing this team. Like, look, Dante Moore's going to come in. We'll have a pretty decent offense. Like, we'll be good. But something, and in this case, that something's going to be defense, is just going to cap us. Like, we're going to have a cap on this team. Like, we're not going to be able to get over that 7-1 hump because our defense is going to be that garbage again. And I don't think our offense will be as good as it was this past season to mask some of those defensive deficiencies. We, we're we not going to have that five-year starting quarterback. We're not going to have that all-world running back again. I know we brought in Carson Steele, who I'm pretty stoked about. Um, and I think we'll have a pretty good run game, but we're not going to have that same level of experience of having those guys on this team running the offense. And we're going to we're gonna see some issues and probably some mistakes. And I think the offense is going to be a little bit more up and down. Largely still be good, but up and down. I mean, we saw some up and down with the offense even this season. And look at all of the talent and all of the experience we had. And yet, you watch that pit game and like we still faltered at times you watch all those you know the Arizona game and we still faltered on offense like there was with all that level of of experience we still as good as our offense was still kind of let us down at points if we truly will have a true freshman quarterback running the show like I expect that to happen and I don't expect the offense to be so good that it masks some of our defensive deficiencies that won us some of our games this season like, I don't think next season we beat a team like Utah or a team like Washington. I just don't see it happening. Yeah, I mean, just look at the, the quarterbacks coming back next season in the Pac-12. You got Caleb Williams yeah. at USC. You got uh, Michael Penix at, at Washington. You got Bo Nix coming back. Cam Risen's coming back at Utah. Uh, I mean, yeah, the, the competition's going to be out there uh, for sure next year in the Pac-12. And look, again... If it means we get the infrastructure right and get a, the right defensive staff in place and get you know players improving and recruiting going, I'd even be willing to sit through one more of these you know eight and four seasons if we could even get there. Uh, but right now, you know, I, I I'm I'm with you. Look, once again, on, on our our talent on offense, I think should be very good, and 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 the transfer recruiting we've we've been poo pooing a lot. On that side of the ball, once again, I think it looks good. I mean, Carson Steele, Dante Moore with him there, and then some of the, the, the pass-catching options that we, we that we hopefully should have. Um, it's going to be pretty good. But again, is it going to be a top-five offense like this year? That's a that's a tough ask given just the, the, level, the amount of experience we had on this team from some key positions. The defense, again, you know, with this talent, I think expecting anything more than a top-70 defense is, is really pie-in-the-sky stuff. Uh, unless we really, really revamp a bunch of things. Uh, it's really just pie-in-the-sky stuff. Right. So when you when you look at it from that perspective, like, sure, okay, we get through a 7-8 win season next season, and we're like, okay, mediocre team. Then we have to make a jump to the Big Ten, and, like, are, are we going to be in a position to be successful to some degree in the Big Ten? Like, yes, winning seven or eight games in the Pac-12 is one thing. And I know you you, you have an argument, and I, I agree with this. I think the middle, the, the Big Ten right now is a little softer than, than it usually is. But 
I think even if it's a, a little softer, that middle is still better than probably a lot of the Pac-12 right now. Especially some of those some of those other schools uh, in the Pac-12, like Arizona. I, I is a bad team. Like they were not very good. I know they've shown improvement, but like we shouldn't have lost to that team. Arizona State, who knows what the hell's going on with them? But like that's not like there's there's a level of team in the Pac-12 that I think is just beyond bad compared to a lot of the teams in the Big Ten, even as soft as it is. So. Yeah, the the, the, the lower bits of the Big Ten are going to be better than the lower bits we see in the Pac-12. That's that's definitely there for sure. So, right. So are we are we still going to be in a position when we make that jump to still at least maintain seven or eight wins, and then build from there? I don't know. I just I don't see it, man. I don't see it with this this staff. I yeah, it's just it's not it's not looking. I, I'm not looking at this. So, so once again, it point. just comes down to like, what are we doing with the defensive? T- We've already fired some coaches. The defensive line coach is out, um, and and looks like more is on the way. Uh, can we get this done in time now to to get at least to the next round of transfer recruiting? And 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 what can we put together there? We'll have to see because again, that I think is a huge part of this equation in terms of you know, is there a, again a competitive roster we can put out there next year? That's not going to be like a 90th rated defense again um right right like that that really just becomes becomes the question yeah i think it's a big question and i sadly feel like i know the answer and it's (laughs) gonna be no (laughs) like how long have we been asking that question now right we will see too long too long it's far too long um anyways there's there's a lot of off season still to happen um let's see what what goes on there uh but yeah right now focus on basketball um real quick before signing off last week we did have a double header against sc with the women's team came back from a 14 point deficit and also beat sc by one point i think it was like 61 60 so Another nail-biting uh, type game, but another win over them. So, yeah, fuck, fuck SC. Fuck SC. It was uh, nice, nice to see. And we, we're one of the few schools right now, UCLA is, that has a, um, the, both the men's and women's team ranked in the top ten. We made a, a big jump up into the top ten. So uh, that, was, that was cool to see. Chris Moss Morna had a hell of a game. And um, it's nice to see the women kind of... Again, carrying the UCLA basketball torch in a, in a proud way, and hopefully we can uh, make some noise in the Pac-12 and down the stretch as well. Yeah, it's good. Ho- hoping again once again for the for the women's team, similar deal. Um, you know, last year UCLA struggled a little bit, but in general, UCLA has kind of been that that team that can get to the round of sixteen or so, and then once they really come up against the the better teams, uh, you know, in women's basketball, kind of just like that. If you have one or two special players, then that's kind of it um and so we'll have to see this year you know can can ucla crack that top eight top seven uh and 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 keep moving i think the 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 signs right now are 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 looking good we we got we got some some really good players we do um it's you know we've always in the pac-12 it's felt like ucla is just 
always so close to being at that Oregon or Stanford level. And I know we've beaten them a few times in Stanford a couple times in conference. Um, but we just always can't get over that hump, it feels like. We get really close and then, you know, we, we come fall back down a little bit. And this might be the season we get over that hump. We'll see. Um, we, we played South Carolina. I know we talked about that earlier this season. South Carolina really, really close um at at home in South Carolina. So that was that was encouraging to see and and you know they've been they've been playing really well at conference. So uh I'm hoping for for a uh it would be really awesome to see a, a double men's and women's teams winning the Pac-12 this season. That would a lot, be really a lot something. of season left. That would be really something. A lot of season left and uh Let's start with winning two games this week uh, for both teams. Yep, yep, let's do it. Um, I think with that, that's that's kind of everything we had. I know that was a lot longer of an episode than I think I was expecting to record today. Definitely. But, um, yeah, well, we will catch you next week, hopefully with a slew of UCLAWs. And, um, yeah, as always, go Bruins. Go Bruins.